0: Catholic commentary. Spiritual warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911.
1: Soul Patrol Jesus 911, one-man car. My name is Jesse Romero. I am back. Uh, my partner Rubenala. He is uh he is out. He's 10-10. He's out on assignment doing some, some apostolic work himself. Hey, uh, by the way, as Catholics, we have to learn to rejoice. And we have to learn, uh, again, like the Bible says, rejoice uh, when, when other people are rejoicing. And also, you know, be sorrowful when other people are, are, uh, are feeling uh, some type of affliction or some type of pain. But again, this week, we have to relish this victory of Roe vs. Wade. I can't talk enough about it. Uh, this is something that I ne- I thought I'd never see this in my lifetime. And uh, it- this is something that we as Catholics... The-, the greatest way we can thank God is by praying rosaries. Rosaries of thanksgiving. And specifically say, Lord, I'm going to offer this rosary in thanksgiving for giving us the victory of Roe versus Wade. And also going to daily mass. The word uh, Eucharist means thanksgiving. Going to daily mass, thanking God for the victory he has given us uh, with this the Supreme Court. And let's just be honest. There was a six Supreme Court justices that ruled in favor of abolishing Roe v.ersus Wade as unconstitutional. Five of them are Catholics. You know, this is why the left is so crazy right now and going after the Catholic Church. is because they know it was the Catholic uh, legal minds formed by the Word of God and formed by their Catholic faith that uh, that knew that this, uh, that the 1973 ruling of Roe v. Wade was unconstitutional. Hey, June is the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. It's not the month of anything else. I don't know uh, whatever the world says. Uh, that's their opinion. The month of June is a month devoted to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Next month is devoted to the precious blood of Jesus, July. And then August is devoted to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. What a beautiful faith we have I just, you know, when you just think about the, the our Catholic faith, it's just, it's so amazing. <clears throat> By the way, I just want to mention that there is a coach now, Coach Joe Kennedy. Uh, the Supreme Court affirmed a couple of days ago that coach, coach Joe Kennedy, he has the right to publicly take a knee in silent prayer after high school football games. It was a 6-3 majority decision. And this case goes back to 2015. Kennedy was fired from his job as an assistant football coach for praying silently at the 50 yard line after games. Can you imagine? No American, no American should have to choose between their faith and their job. But uh, thanks be to God that the U.S. Supreme Court did the right thing. Also, did you know that there's a wet red wave warning? More than 1 million voters across 43 states have switched to the Republican Party over the last year, according to national voter registration data. The party shift is especially prominent in the suburbs where well educated swing voters previously pulled for Biden in 2020. And also, we haven't heard much about her, Gislaine Maxwell the sex trafficker that used to work for Jeffrey Epstein on Epstein Island, Gislaine Maxwell has been sentenced to 20 years in prison for her contributions to facilitating the sex trafficking of underage children at Epstein Island. Maxwell was girlfriend to the late Jeffrey Epstein. She was found guilty on multiple counts, including conspiring to entice minors to travel and to engage in illegal sex acts, my hope and prayer is that in, in, uh, in the deep recesses of prison that she encounters the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, that she comes into a saving knowledge of Jesus, that she moves into a state of grace, becomes a Catholic, and gets to heaven one day. Also, we're living right now through the summer of rage. According to Catholic Vote, there have been 34 attacks on pregnancy centers and pro-life groups since uh, the Roe v.ersus Wade was leaked in early May, and the pro-abortion domestic terrorists have claimed responsibility, and they're promising more attacks in this summer of rage, and they are keeping their promises. All right, I want to talk today about the 10 unsung heroes of the American pro-life movement. A lot of these people, again, obviously, they're not here no more, but they're watching from heaven. They're watching from the vantage point of eternity all their labors, their prayers their penances their sacrifices their protesting their uh, again they they're spending hours and hours in front of abortion clinics with rosaries A lot of these people right now are seeing from the other side the effects of 50 years of holy men and women that have been opposing one of the greatest evils in uh, this country's history is the killing of innocent babies and again, Christians and people of goodwill, were celebrating, and we should be celebrating, the Dobbs victory across America and all around the world. And in our joy, let's not forget the hundreds of men and women who worked within the bounds of the law to make this moment possible. There are so many unsung heroes of the American pro-life movement that finally led to the Dobbs victory But only God knows the number of lives transformed and the souls that have been saved because of their heroic work. Many of them didn't live to see Roe overturned in their lifetimes, but they are surely rejoicing in the presence of God in heaven. Here's one. Bernard Nathanson, my partner Terry Barber, was arrested with him and they spend a couple of days in in jail with each other because they were protesting in front of an abortion clinic peacefully protesting Bernard Nathanson lived from 1926 to 2011 he was known as America's abortion doctor and uh, as as Robert George wrote about him he says few people of any did more than Bernard Nathanson to undermine the right to life of unborn children by turning abortion from an unspeakable crime into a constitutionally protected liberty Someday when our laws is reformed to honor the dignity and protect the right to life of every member of the human family, including children in the womb, historians will observe that few people did more than Bernard Nathanson to achieve that reversal. His 1984 film, The Silent Scream, made national headlines documenting the final moments of an abortion As one of the first pro-life efforts to debunk the pro-abortion claim that the victim was just a clump of cells. As a former abortionist himself, Nathanson spent the last 25 years of his life testifying that abortion kills developing infant humans. He was received into the Catholic Church by Cardinal John O'Connor in 1996. May he rest in peace, in the peace of Christ. We also have another unsung hero, Representative Henry Hyde, who's seen from heaven what's happening right now. Henry Hyde has been called the greatest American champion in the fight for equal justice under the law for the unborn children. In the years following Roe, Henry Hyde worked to abolish federal funding of abortion between 1973 and 1977. Because Medicaid provided over 300,000 abortions using both federal and state funding, Henry Hyde, Understood that law shapes citizens, and abortion isn't a private matter. It's a violation of the most basic duty citizens have towards each other, including the unborn. The Hyde Amendment, for which he fought so valiantly, codified into law the common sense idea that American taxpayers should not be forced to fund the murder of their fellow citizens, their their fellow unborn citizens. And some studies indicate that the Hyde Amendment saved over 2 million lives. Here's the third hero of the pro-life movement, Judge Robert Bork. He lived from 1927 to 2012. Now, he may have never sat on the Supreme Court because of Senator Biden, but his judicial originalism paved the way for the Dobbs decision as the courts decisions became increasingly based on made-up constitutional rights, Bork aggressively fought against its shoddy reasoning, judicial activism, and use of historic materials. He said, the truth is that the judge who looks outside the Constitution always looks inside himself and nowhere else. His writings and speeches directly influenced justices just as Antonin Scalia and Clarence Thomas. And the current court justices who voted to overturn Rose terrible lawmaking. So Judge Robert Bork, his legal mind, his judicial originalism, is uh, the one that gave the, the, the judicial reasoning behind the, some of the speeches made by Scalia, Thomas, and others. Here's another pro-life giant. Justice Antonin Scalia, 1936 to 2016. He stood in defense of the Constitution, free speech, the limits of judicial power, and the rule of law during the court's most activist years. He was one of the most consequential jurors and thinkers in American history. Known for his witty and biting dissents in cases such as Planned Parenthood v. Casey, without his presence and brilliant writings, the fight to overturn Roe, and preserve American democracy could have failed in the face of the court's worst decisions. In his dissent, in Scalia's dissent from Obergefell versus Hodges, he succinctly summarized the utter departure from the Constitution that Roe versus Wade and its progeny took. I'm looking at the ten most important pro-life leaders in the last fifty years. They're dead now. I hope they're in heaven. I'm sure most of them are, if not all of them. But it was their legal minds and their faith that caused this court to overturn v. Wade. we'll be right back.
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency... Dial 888-526-2151.
1: Soul Patrol, Jesus911, One Man Car, my name is Jesse Romero. There are 10 people that we have to thank God for, historically, for the Roe vs. Wade, for overturning Roe vs. Wade. These are 10 intellectual giants and faith-filled giants who fought, 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 fought until they dropped dead, and now I'm sure they're in the hands of the living God. But they fought against one of the most unjust, if not the most unjust law ever to come out of the Supreme Court in this, in this country in over 240 years, Roe versus Wade, the 1973 the law that has just been struck down by the present U.S. Supreme Court. But there's many people that paved the way for, uh, for, for the six justices that struck down the case. They were looking at years and years of legal minds who were chipping away at Roe versus Wade. One of these legal minds was Justice Antonin Scalia, who died just a few short years ago, 2016. Justice Scalia, practicing Catholic, he also dissented against the, that, that, uh, the homosexual marriage ruling, Oberg Fell versus Hodges. And Scalia succinctly summarized the utter departure from the Constitution that Roe versus Wade and Obergefell versus Hodges took. This is how he criticized both of these decisions. Scalia wrote, quote, The opinion in these cases is the furthest extension in fact, and the furthest extension one can even imagine, of the court's claimed power to create liberties that the Constitution and its amendments neglect to mention. This practice of constitutional revision by an unelected committee of nine, always accompanied, as it is today, by extravagant praise of liberty, robs the people of the most important liberty they asserted in the Declaration of Independence and won in the Revolution of 1776. The freedom to govern themselves." Close quote. Scalia said this is essentially the fundamental flaw in Roe versus Wade and Obergefell versus Hodges, the the homosexual marriage ruling. It's that the nine people, nine unelected people have robbed the American citizens of their freedom to govern themselves. Another giant of the pro-life movement, Norma McCorvey, she lived from 1947 to 2017. She was a Jane Roe, Roe vs. Wade. She was the poster child of the pro-abortion movement in the United States. And for years after, she was a rabid advocate of abortion rights. But by the 1990s, she had completely transformed. She had an interior conversion. She fell in love with Jesus. She founded Roe No More, a nonprofit organization dedicated to pro-life advocacy, and publicly confessed the lies she t- she had told, and the money she had been paid during the original Roe case in 1973. In 1995, she began promoting Operation Rescue and was, re- was received into the Catholic Church in 1998. She used her notoriety and name to try to overturn Roe for the rest of her life. It's very interesting the way a lot of these people, some of these people were not Catholic when they started. But before they died, they ended up in the arms of Holy Mother Church because everybody knows, even the Protestants realize, Roe versus Wade was taken down because of the Catholics. Because the Catholics have been fighting this since 1973 non-stop and they haven't quit. And so even Protestants are saying it was the Catholics that took down Roe vs. Wade. And by the way, the enemy knows that. That's why the enemy is attacking Catholic churches. They're not attacking Protestant denominations. They're not attacking Jewish synagogues. They're not attacking Muslim mosques. They're not attacking Buddhist shrines. They're attacking Catholic churches because they know it was the teachings of the Catholic church and it was faithful Catholics that fought, 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 and fought since 1973 intellectually, and and and, and, and with the, spe- the weapons of spiritual warfare, to take down this uh, this behemoth Roe versus Wade. Another giant of the pro-life movement is Nellie Gray. She lived from 1924 to 2012. She was working as a lawyer for the federal government in January 1973, when Roe v. Wade decision was handed down. She immediately recognized that Roe. And its sister case, Doe v. Bolton, invalidated all state regulations and ended political debate about abortion. She was determined that this disaster for, a, for American democracy be commemorated and condemned by the people annually. So in 1974, Nellie Gray organized the first March for Life around the U.S. Capitol, drawing over 200,000 protesters in its first year. When it became clear that overturning Roe would be decades-long battle, Nellie Gray gave up her career to become the full-time volunteer president of the March and its principal organizer. The March for Life continues to this day, often in bitter, cold, and snow, drawing hundreds of thousands of young, energetic pro-lifers from all over the country. Nellie Gray said, We will be here until we overturn Roe v.ersus Wade, and believe me, we are going to overturn Roe v.ersus Wade. Nellie, your words... Have rung true, and from your vantage point in heaven, which I have no doubt that's where you are, um, you're looking down upon earth, and your 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 uh, incredible labor has borne good fruit. We also have another pro life leader, Mildred Jefferson. She lived from 2010 to, uh, from 1927, excuse me, to 2010. She's the first African American woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School. She's a co-founder of National Right to Life. She passionately and eloquently pushed for the, for the equal protection of unborn children under the law. She's a skilled orator. She articulated the deep betrayal that many medical professionals felt at the abortion lobby's use of medicine to justify the murder of innocent children in the womb. Mildred Jefferson, she also spoke to the civil rights aspect of the abortion law and the threat that Planned Parenthood and its allies pose to unborn black and minority children. She said, quote, I am at once a physician, a citizen, and a woman. And I'm not willing to stand aside and allow this concept of expendable human lives to turn this great land of ours into just another exclusive reservation where only the perfect, the privileged, and the planned have the right to live, close quote. God bless her. May she rest in the peace of Christ. Another giant of the pro-life movement... Cardinal John O'Connor lived from 1920 to the year 2000. He was the Archbishop of New York. He had a profound experience visiting the Dachau concentration camp, the site of the Nazi atrocities, especially against Catholic priests. And so he vowed to spend the rest of his life defending human life. But he saw that even his forceful preaching and programs were bearing little fruit. So he tried a completely new approach and founded the Sisters of Life a religious community of women dedicated wholly to the protection of the sacredness of every human life. And so in 1991, eight women responded to his ad in the local Catholic newspaper. Today, they number over 100 women from around the world serving pregnant women, struggling mothers and families, and post-abortive fathers and mothers in New York, Colorado, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Washington, D.C., and Canada. Their presence has changed the landscape of the Catholic pro-life movement in America, bolstering the spiritual battle behind the scenes with their joyful witness, Cardinal John O'Connor, rest in peace. Joanne Andrews Bell, the eighth hero of the pro-life movement, was an early participant in Operation Rescue Movement of the late 1980s. She organized peaceful protests blocking the entrances to abortion clinics. She was arrested over 100 times in 20 years and spent 31 months in a Florida prison, where she would be held for months at a time in solitary confinement for refusing to stop her blockades upon release. Her raw courage inspired thousands and brought national attention to Operation Rescue and the desperate need for a pro life presence outside the abortion mills. Over the years, America was under row. More programs developed to train protesters, sidewalk counselors, and intervention activists outside the death factories. Countless lives were saved and. Uh, All I have to say is, may Joanne Joanne Andrew Bells, may she rest in the peace of Christ. Vicki Thorne lived from 1950 to 2002. She founded Project Rachel in 1984 outside uh, to provide healing for mothers scarred by abortion. In the decade following Rose, she was working as a bereavement counselor and encountering more and more women devastated after abortions and Catholic priests unsure of how to help them. So she asked God for guidance. And open up her Bible to Jeremiah 31, verse 15. It says, Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted because they are no more. Close quote. Vicki Thorne died suddenly this year, 2022. But her legacy of mercy and compassion saved thousands of souls from hell. Of being unable to forgive themselves. She offered hope after abortion. And finally, the 10th year of the pro-life movement. There are many more. But the 10th one that really sticks out is Deidre McQuaid. She lived from 1969 to 2022. She died this year as well, after a battle with cancer at the age of just 53. For more than 10 years, she acted as a pro-life communications director at the USCCB. Her consistent and brave voice in the American media was founded on years of working with women in crisis pregnancies in Indiana, and also as a national program for Feminists for Life. So I'm sure if you could come up with a list, you'd have your own heroes of the last 50 years of the pro-life advocacy and service. There's many more there's some people that are still alive right now, for example, and they've seen the fruits of, uh, they've seen the fruits of Roe versus Wade or, or the, the abolition of Roe versus Wade. For example, I'll tell you one of the my, uh, my heroes right now is Father Frank Pavone. Father Frank Pavone is one of those. There's very few priests like him. His zeal for the pro-life cause is second to none. We can also mention the people from Human Life International. They also have a cadre of incredible Catholic priests back to back as their presidents who have been uh, stalwarts in, in fighting against this, uh, this holocaust of babies you also have on the protestant side you have focus on the family they've been speaking out and fighting against this uh abortion holocaust for decades as well you also have the knights of columbus the knights of columbus has been historically fighting against this battle since 1973 in fact supreme knight patrick kelly acclaimed that the Supreme Court's decision in Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, in uh, in a June 24th statement, the Supreme Knight Patrick Kelly said he called it he called the ruling one of the most significant advancements in human rights in our nation's history. He also added, in a po roast in a post row world, the Knights will continue to be there for mothers and their children, and will continue to proclaim the dignity of every human life. Hey, I'm going to talk about marriage. Things that you should know about marriage and how to shorten your marriage. You definitely don't want to miss that. What's up next?
0: Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: I want to talk about God's favorite topic. What is that? The sacrament of marriage? Why do I say that? You're saying, Joe, that, Jess, that's a bold statement. That's God's favorite topic? Absolutely. I'll tell you why. The Holy Bible, which is the Word of God, and this is, uh, this is inspired by God. This is the breath of God. The Holy Bible starts off with a marriage, Adam and Eve. The Holy Bible ends with a marriage. In the book of Revelation, Christ will marry the church in heaven. The Old Testament is about a marriage between God, Yahweh, and Israel, the people of God, His bride. The New Testament is also another marriage that's, that's highlighted. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, and the church, His, His bride. He's the bridegroom. Everything about the Holy Bible screams marriage. This is God's favorite topic. Marriage, unity, the bond of love, fruitfulness. But this is also Satan's. This is a topic that he hates the most: is marriage. This is why he's trying to do everything he can right now to destroy marriage. LGBTQ, Ober Obergefell versus Hodges, same-sex marriage, pornography, uh, human sex trafficking. Uh, people marrying their computers, Uh, again, brothels, whorehouses, everything that we see that is inspired or instigated or impelled by Satan is for the purposes of destroying marriage. Fulton Sheen said this, he says, it takes three to get married. A man a woman, and God in the center. Think about a triangle. A man on one side, a woman on the other side, and God at the very apex of center. The more the man draws closer to God, the more the woman draws closer to God, the more they draw closer to themselves. God will draw them closer to each other as they get closer to Him. That's the paradigm of the triangle. As the man gets closer to God, as the woman gets closer to God, God brings them closer to each other naturally as they get closer to Him. That's the, that's the, uh, the brainchild of Fulton Sheen, that it takes three to get married, a man and a woman and God. I want to give you 20 secrets to a happy holy marriage. Maybe some of you have already heard some of these things, but it's just good to refresh them anyhow because again, the devil never sleeps and the devil's going after our marriages. It's going after the marriages of our children. Some wonderful friends of mine got married and, and they set out on a journey uh, towards marriage and family. And so they asked for my humble advice since I've been married for almost 40 years. I'm an old dude. So with their permission... I'm going to share a few things and I think, I think they're worth it. I think this is good advice. If, if nothing else, just say a prayer for this couple that they will be bright witnesses to the gospel of, of marital love. But if, if I was going to give some young people advice, here's a couple things that I would say. Number one, remember that every day marriage is a gift of God. Every day That you wake up, the holy matrimony is a gift from God, placed like the blessed sacrament in your hands, hands which God has joined together. You are both, the man and the woman, you are both Christ-bearers. The word Christ-bearers means Christopher. Christopher means a Christ-bearer. So every dimension of our beings is to become a grace-giving sacrament to our partner, to our spouse. We're called to be a total offering, a holy mystery of divine and human love. And so every gesture of ours, lived in fidelity to our promises, it's going to save the world. Your holiness, your personal holiness, and your holiness in your marriage, it's going to affect the world. And rejoice that you have become you have become God with us in the sacrament of matrimony because in the sacrament of matrimony, we embody God in a way absolutely and uniquely uh, like nobody else because every, every single marriage is different. The second thing, love is the bond that seals you as one and that gift that is poured out for many Love is the bond that seals us in marriage. And God is love. God is the bond that seals us as one. And as long as we stay in the palms of God, in the hands of God, we will be safe. Third point, honor each other. Don't take each other for granted. Honor is the guardian of love. So you must show honor to each other and guard each other's honor. Especially teaching your children to honor their mom and to honor their dad. Here's a fourth thing. Today you've embraced your vocation to love God by loving your your beloved spouse. Always remember, you will love God best by loving your spouse first and placing all other loves in service to the first. Which is the love of your spouse. That's how you show you love God, is by loving your spouse, because that's your vocation. Number five, all of us are surrounded by family and friends, mentors, and the whole communion of saints. Remember that your marriage will flourish and it will be strengthened and you'll be encouraged in this web of support of believing people in your life. Make sure you're surrounded by practicing Catholics that love the Lord as well. Number six, let prayer be your daily bread. Mutual forgiveness should be your daily balm, your daily healing. Laughter should be the wings in your marriage. Tears The presage of joy. The common labor in marriage should be the strong bond. Hope should be your anchor. Kindness should be a gentle embrace. Number seven. Speak the truth in love to your spouse. Keep confidences, but never secrets. Number eight. Multiply small signs of your love, impractical gestures that reveal the sheer giftedness of your marital bond and the purposeless beauties in your purposeful existence. Yes. Never let your love grow old. Multiply those small signs of your love throughout the day. Multiply the small signs of your love throughout the day. Show your gratitude for your spouse. Number nine. Never let your love grow cold, but permit it to mature, deepen, broaden, soar by every day, begging the Holy Spirit to kindle the fire of love between you and your spouse. Number ten. Your marriage, and God willing, one day your family life is a garden of virtue where your characters are afforded the opportunity to become great and noble. How do we become holy? Adorn your soul with virtue. How do we become holy? Adorn your soul with virtue. Number 11, never go to bed estranged or harboring hurt or anger or resentment. Or as the Bible says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't do that. Because you give the devil a toehold into your marriage. Number 12, have long conversations with your spouse. This is important. FaceTime. FaceTime with your spouse. Speaking to each other from the heart. Sharing with each other your pains, your joys, your your dreams. A relationship is based on communication and time spent together. Number 13. Before you turn outward in self... Before you turn outward in self-gift towards others, turn upward towards God in petition and inward towards each other in love. Always return to each other after you have given yourselves for others. Remember, put your spouse first above all other relations except for God. Number 14. Strive for a well-ordered love. Because disordered love is no love at all. And disorder is a seedbed for conflict and stress. Plan your lives and your priorities together. Don't let your calendar dictate to you, but you dictate to your calendar and reverence each other's unique gifts and build on them. Again, Disordered love is no love at all. Oftentimes people wonder why they have preternatural activity in their house or diabolical affliction in in, in some of the family members or even within one of the spouses. And I'll tell you one of the ways this happens is one of the impediments to grace entering the home is if there are disordered sexual practices Amongst the, the, the mother and father We gotta clean Our sexual practices Clean them up Jesus 911, Jess Romero I'm talking about practical tips With the sacraments of marriage We'll continue Stick around You'll hear more
0: Now back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888 526 2151.
1: Soul Patrol Jesus 911, one man car. I'm talking about the importance of marriage, and I'm just giving some practical tips. I think that will be helpful for people that realize that what's at the crosshairs right now, what's what's on satan's crosshairs is the sacrament of marriage this is what he wants to destroy this is what he's always wanted to destroy so i'm just giving some practical tips here here's tip number 15 in relation to your spouse know each other's weaknesses help each other grow together but never use the, your your partner's weakness against each other come on we're we're all made in weakness we're all sinners but we're made in weakness so that we might might supply for each other. Each of our weaknesses is an opportunity for Christ to supply his sufficient grace to the other person. And also, within the context of marriage, learn to laugh at your own foibles. You know, be self-deprecatory. Make fun of yourself. Don't take yourself too serious. You know, laugh with other people in the family. But never laugh at people. Okay? Don't laugh at other people. Okay. Uh, But it's good it's good to learn to laugh at good clean jokes. You know, learn to laugh at some of your missteps. It's called self deprecation. Just bring levity into the house. People love people like to be around a person that has just a good sense of humor. Point number sixteen within the sacraments of marriage, choose your battles wisely. Some things you can live with patience; Others require challenging, repentance, change. Sometimes you may have to seek counsel for other things to help you discern which is, the, which, is, which, is which, or what you should do in, in a particular situation. I find that the best counselor is going in front of the blessed sacrament with a prayer book or a Bible, spending an hour in talking to Jesus, you will get intellectual, moral, and spiritual clarity for your problems. If you're reading God's Word in front of the Blessed Sacrament, God will answer whatever query you have in your mind. Also, number 17, learn that some of the sweetest joys in life are found in trials, live through together in common trust, Sacrifice, humility, perseverance, and Christ-like charity. Don't be afraid of trials. God orders all things for good in your marriage because you love Him. And point 18. Be unrelentingly faithful to each other in body and mind. Fidelity is the bedrock of trust. It's the bedrock of marriage. And if you slipped and fallen go to confession as soon as possible and make a firm purpose of amendment never to do so again. 19. Remember God and forget yourself. Make sure God is first in everything. And number 20. Know that you're daily gathering materials for the wedding feast of the Lamb at the end of time. Nothing you do consecrated to Him will be lost in that eternal, universal kingdom. A kingdom of truth and life, a kingdom of holiness and grace, a kingdom of justice, love, and peace. May we all one day join again there to forever rejoice in the beauty of your life together, begun today. May it be so. Amen. Here's something else Interesting, and I don't know if you've heard of this. Practicing Catholics have the lowest divorce rate in the United States. I'll repeat it again. Practicing Catholics have the lowest divorce rate in the United States. I read this years ago from an academic paper written by Dr. Janet Smith when she worked for the University of Dallas. I think she she turned that academic paper into a book. But she has the data there. Practicing Catholics have the lowest divorce rate in the United States of America. Here's something else that will be very helpful. In fact, this came out on Psychology Today. So, this is a secular study. Psychology Today has an article where they say that praying for your partner promotes fidelity. Did you know that? The study's entitled Faith and Unfaithfulness. So, can praying for your partner reduce infidelity? It was discovered that praying for a partner actually reduced the likelihood of infidelity. I'll repeat it again. It was discovered that praying for a partner actually reduced the likelihood of infidelity. This came out on Psychology Today. The article is called Match Made in Heaven. Couples Who pray together, stay together. Here's another one. I think this will be helpful. Dr. David Stoop, he writes, he says that the National Association of Marriage Enhancement in Phoenix, Arizona, and the website is called nameonline.net, nameonline.net. So Dr. David Stoop said that the National Association of Marriage Enhancement in Phoenix, Arizona, did a study and reported that when couples pray together on a daily basis less than one percent of those couples would end up getting a divorce. Did you catch that? The numbers were one out of 1,156. Pretty amazing statistic. When you realize that the divorce rate in the general population is reportedly around 50%. So, once again, couples that pray together on a daily basis reduce their likelihood of divorce from 50% to 1%. That's mind blowing. A loving marriage takes courage and patience every day. And better than asking, what kind of spouse do I desire to have? The question we should be asking is, what kind of spouse do I desire to be? Have you ever thought about why woman was not taken from man's head? E was taken from man's rib. Why? Saint Peter Lombard, he says, died in eleven sixty four A.D. He says, Eve was not taken from Adam's head, for she was not intended to be his ruler. Eve was not taken from Adam's feet, for she was not meant to be a slave. Eve was taken from Adam's side to be his companion, that both might comfort each other. So, where does love begin? In our homes. When does love begin? When we pray together. The family that prays together. Stays together. Love is not a matter of counting the years. But rather making the years count. Remember that the Bible tells us. Perfect love cast out fear. Perfect love Cast out fear. And you know something? Obedience to the gospel, and guess what? It's worth the risk. It's worth the risk. One of the practical things you can do for your spouse and your children is hug them. Hug them. Hugging is a great gift when it comes from the heart. And guess it's a one-size-fits-all gift. The word family. Years ago, Father Fortuna wrote a song, Family, F-A-M-I-L-Y. So what does the song stand for? Family. Forget about me, I love you. Family. Forget about me, I love you love you that says it all you know i saw a bumper sticker that said one day it said the more i know women the more i love my truck I, i disagree with that bumper sticker for us as catholic christians our bumper sticker should read the more i know jesus the more i love my wife you know why marriages fail in america because for most couples, Jesus is in the sidelines instead of on the center. Jesus must be in the center of our marriage, not in the sidelines. Fulton Sheen once said, I sought my God, but my God I could not see. I sought myself, but myself eluded me. I sought my neighbor and i found all three that's the way we love god is through our spouse through our neighbor the most important words for marriages the six most important statements number 1 the six most important words in a marriage i admit I, I admit i made a mistake the five most important words in a marriage i am proud of you The four most important words in a marriage, what is your opinion? The three most important words in a marriage, I love you. The two most important words in a marriage, thank you. And the most important word in a marriage, the one most important word in a marriage, we. Remember that. Dear God, Please make our Catholic marriages and relationships a great and holy adventure where we can unite ourselves to you more intimately. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's a wrap. My name is Jesse Romero. If you like what you hear, then share this program with other people. We are here to serve the body of Christ. You can support the show by sharing the full show the full show link at vmpr.org share us with your friends and evangelize everybody you love up next Gary Machuda hands on apologetics coming up in a few minutes you'll hear you'll hear more high level apologetics from the big guy coming to you from Midwest Command and that's for us that's for me that's a wrap I am Will and the watch God bless you keep the faith